Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden weighing his options on abortion, saying he's considering declaring a national health emergency to promote abortion access. The U.S. government gave out $800 billion in PPP loans during the pandemic. A new study says that much of the money was poorly targeted and was sent to unintended recipients. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken made a stop in Tokyo to pay tribute to former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. World leaders are expressing shock and offering condolences in the wake of his assassination last Friday. And days after his assassination, Abe's party is expected to take a supermajority of seats in Japan's upper house of parliament. President Joe Biden says he's considering declaring a health emergency in response to the Supreme Court's abortion ruling. A health emergency would utilize federal resources to promote abortion access. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. During a bike ride near his home in Delaware Sunday, President Biden said he's limited in what he can do in response to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. But as president, I don't have the authority to say that uh, we're going to, you know, state Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. A reporter asked if he's considering declaring a public health emergency. It would free up federal resources to promote abortion access. That's something I'm asked the, uh, the folks, to, the medical people in the administration to look at, whether that is, whether I have the authority to do that and what impact that would have. Last Friday, White House official Jen Klein told reporters that a health emergency doesn't seem like a great option. Um, when we looked at the public health emergency, we learned a couple things. One is that it doesn't free very many resources. It's what's in the public health emergency fund, and there's very little uh, money, tens of thousands of dollars in it. So uh, that didn't seem like a great option. Um, and it also doesn't release um, a significant amount of legal authority. And so that's why we haven't taken that action yet. The Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade affirms that abortion is not a constitutional right. Instead, it's a matter for individual states to decide. Pro-life groups applauded the decision. They consider abortion immoral and tantamount to murder. But pro-abortion groups are pressuring Biden to do something to protect access to abortion. Biden says the White House is looking to address specific issues like women not being able to cross state lines to get abortions and protecting women's private health information. Biden said his ultimate goal is for Congress to pass a bill making abortion legal across the country. He said he'd sign it into law the moment that happens. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The U.S. government began giving out so-called PPP loans to small businesses at the start of the pandemic. The idea was to help them survive amid lockdowns. Now, studies say that a lot of the money was poorly targeted. Here are the details. During the first wave of the pandemic, America's small business sector was at risk of a collapse because of lockdown orders and a drop in consumer spending. The Paycheck Protection Program, also known as PPP loans, directed roughly $800 billion in forgivable loans to small businesses and other organizations hit by the crisis. The Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis conducted a study to find out whether this money was well spent. They found that only about one quarter of the $800 billion supported jobs that would otherwise have disappeared. The study concluded that the money was poorly targeted as almost three quarters of its benefits went to unintended recipients, including business owners, creditors and suppliers, rather than to workers. 
The study found that preserving jobs was expensive. It's estimated that the PPP cost taxpayers around $4 for each $1 of wages and benefits that went to workers in jobs that were saved. And another analysis done by the American Economic Association says that most of the money didn't help low-income people. It estimated that over 70% of PPP funds went to the top 20% of households in terms of income. But the analysis also defends the loans. It says that Congress could not have better targeted the PPP program without substantially slowing its delivery. The Senate is back in session after the July 4th holiday, but not with its majority leader. Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer will be working remotely this week after testing positive for COVID-19. A spokesman says Schumer, who is vaccinated and double boosted, has mild symptoms. Other high-profile D.C. officials who've recently tested positive include House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Vice President Kamala Harris. The European Union is seeking information from the former EU digital chief on her alleged lobbying for Uber. Leaked documents on the company's business dealings are causing uproar. The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and Multiple Media cited leaked documents. They said Uber broke laws, duped police, and built a secret lobbying operation targeting prominent policymakers and politicians. Uber has denied the allegations. Nelly Cruz served as European Commissioner from 2004 to 2014, first as EU antitrust chief and subsequently as digital chief. She is just one of the many believed linked to the allegations. The report alleges Uber lobbied political leaders to relax labor and taxi laws as it aggressively pushed into markets around the world. The investigation also found that Uber used stealth technology to fend off government investigations. Former White House advisor Steve Bannon has agreed to testify in front of the House January 6th committee. He received a letter from former President Trump permitting the move. According to a letter from his lawyer, Bannon is willing to testify and would prefer to do it publicly. He is slated to go on trial for criminal contempt charges for defying a previous subpoena from the panel. Previously, Bannon's lawyers said he wouldn't respond to the subpoena because of Trump's executive privilege. However, Trump told Bannon that he would waive his executive privilege. Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren is a member of the January 6th committee. She suggested on CNN that the panel won't have Bannon testify in public. In November, Bannon surrendered to the FBI on contempt charges. He told reporters at the scene, quote, we're taking down the Biden regime. His trial is scheduled to start on July 18th. World leaders are offering condolences ahead of Shinzo Abe's funeral. The murder of the former Japanese prime minister stunned the world last Friday. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrived in Tokyo on Monday. On behalf of President Biden, he expressed condolences to the family of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. In his time in office, uh, Prime Minister Abe did more than anyone to elevate the relationship between the United States and Japan to new heights. I shared with the the Prime Minister uh, letters to the Abe family from President Biden, and we simply want them to know that we deeply feel their loss on a personal level as well. Blinken's unscheduled trip to Tokyo followed his G20 foreign ministers meeting in Indonesia. He described Shinzo Abe as a man of a vision who had the ability to realize that vision. Abe was Japan's longest serving modern leader. He was shot and killed last Friday while giving a campaign speech in the western city of Nara. About five and a half hours after the shooting, he was pronounced dead. The White House released a joint statement from President Biden, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, expressing shock at Abe's assassination. 
Former President Donald Trump told media he is talking to Abe's family about attending the funeral. He said Abe was the first world leader he met with after taking office in 2016. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock also made an official visit to Tokyo. I am visiting Japan today during a very hard time. Last week, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was killed. Before anything, I would like to send my condolences to the people of Japan as a representative of the German government. Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen also paid her respects on Monday. At the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association in Taipei, Tsai thanked Abe for being a voice for Taiwan on the international stage. I represent the government and the people in delivering our deepest condolences to the family of former Prime Minister Abe. We also once again express our most severe condemnation towards the criminal act of violence. Former Prime Minister Abe is an international leader that received the utmost respect from all around the world and spent his life safeguarding the values, democracy, freedom and human rights. A hearse carrying Shinzo Abe's remains arrived at Tokyo's Zojoji Temple on Monday, ahead of a vigil scheduled on the eve of his funeral. The mother of the suspect who police believed murdered former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was revealed to be a member of the Unification Church. Local church leaders clarified the connection. The president of the Japan branch of the church said at a news conference that suspect Tetsuya Yamagami was never a member of the church, but that his mother was, and she was attending church events about once a month. The church declined to comment on the suspect's rumored motive for the crime and its possible link to a church donation. The church also said Abe was neither a member of nor advisor to the church. Police told local media that Yamagami believed the former Japanese leader was linked to a religious group he blamed for his mother's financial ruin and spent months planning the attack with a homemade gun. 41-year-old Yamagami was taken from jail and sent to prosecutors on Sunday. Many people walked by Abe's former Tokyo residence to stop for prayers outside while police guarded the area. Days after Japan's former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated, his ruling party looks set to increase their seats in the country's upper house. Here's more. At the headquarters of Japan's ruling party, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida is putting paper roses next to the names of candidates expected to have won seats in the upper house of parliament. And it looks like the Liberal Democratic Party leader will need a lot of rosettes. His coalition government is projected to have increased its majority in an election on Sunday, two days after the assassination of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. The LDP and its junior coalition partner Komeito held 69 of the 125 contested seats going into the vote. An exit poll by public broadcaster NHK predicted they would win between 69 and 83 seats. The LDP was projected to win as many as 69 seats on its own, according to the exit poll, which would give it a majority even without Komeito. Elections for Parliament's less powerful upper house are typically a referendum on the sitting government. A change of government was never at stake, as that is determined by the lower house. However, the strong showing could help Kishida consolidate his rule. It's a chance, analysts say, for him to achieve his goal of boosting military spending at a time of tension with neighbours China, Russia and North Korea. The gains might also allow Kishida to revise Japan's pacifist constitution, a dream Abe never achieved. Election results are expected on Monday. 
Just ahead, protesters in Sri Lanka have ransacked the presidential palace and the president has resigned. The country has been suffering economically. Rescuers are searching for survivors after a Russian missile hit a five-story building in Ukraine's Donetsk region. The death toll is at 24. We'll have all that and more for you after the break. Sri Lanka's president has announced his resignation and his presidential palace was ransacked. Now Sri Lankans' thoughts are turning to what could happen next. Here's the story. Some lounged on a four-poster bed, others jostled for a turn on the president's gym equipment. A day after it was ransacked, Sri Lankans roamed through the presidential palace on Sunday. Calm has now largely returned to the commercial capital Colombo the day after anger over economic hardship boiled over. Protesters stormed President Gotabaya Rajapaksa's official residence, prompting him to announce his resignation. In the grounds of the colonial-era building, human resources manager Namal Jayawardene said, the greatest thing the people and youth of this country have ever done is to chase this man away. In contrast to the luxurious surroundings, many Sri Lankans have been struggling to make ends meet. After the global health crisis hammered the tourism-reliant economy, the Indian Ocean island nation has been battered by record inflation, currency depreciation, rolling power cuts and chronic fuel shortages. That boiled over into anger that also saw part of Prime Minister Ranil Wickremesinghe's private residence torched by protesters. Both Wickremesinghe and Rajapaksa were not in the residences when they were attacked. Bhavani Fonseca, a senior researcher at the Center for Policy Alternatives, said it's not clear what will happen next. So this is going to be an extremely critical time to ensure there's political stability as well as economic stability at a time where there's also a law and order situation erupting. So if violence is not contained, there is concern that this is going to deepen the crisis. So very, very important times ahead for Sri Lanka. The economic crisis is Sri Lanka's worst in seven decades. A severe foreign currency shortage has stalled imports of essentials like fuel, food and medicine. Inflation is escalating. But there are fears that the political crisis could make matters worse. The International Monetary Fund, which has been in talks with the Sri Lankan government for a possible $3 billion bailout, said it was monitoring events closely. The death toll from a Russian rocket attack that hit an apartment block in eastern Ukraine over the weekend rose to 24 on Monday as rescuers combed through the rubble in search of survivors. Brick by brick, rescuers picked through a huge mound of rubble from a collapsed five-story block. It was struck late on Saturday in Ukraine's Donetsk region. A Reuters video on Monday showed rescuers lift a survivor from the ruins to a stretcher and carry away the bodies of two people in white bags. The state emergency service says nine people have been rescued so far. Russia is expected to focus the brunt of its assault on eastern Ukraine in the region of Donetsk after claiming it had captured the neighboring Luhansk region. Russia's defense ministry says Russian forces struck two Ukrainian army hangars which were storing U.S.-made howitzers, a type of artillery weapon. The defense ministry also said they destroyed 17 command posts, four platoons of multiple launch rocket systems, and two hangars. 
He said the howitzers had been used to shell residential areas in the Donetsk region. NTD could not independently verify the accounts. Ukrainian military spokespeople were not immediately available for comment. Donetsk and Luhansk provinces comprise the Donbass. It's an industrial region that has become Europe's biggest battlefield for generations. Russia wants to take control of the region on behalf of the separatists that it supports. The commanding officer of the USS Abraham Lincoln told reporters in Hawaii about how the 26-nation RIMPAC military exercises are a great opportunity to communicate. To have this many nations working together, and it is an incredible opportunity to ensure that we know how to communicate, that we're speaking the same language. By that I mean, you know, how we operate between aircraft and ships, how the ships integrate with each other. The exercise is taking place June 29th to August 4th in and around Hawaii and Southern California. It's the 28th edition of the exercise that began in 1971. The Navy calls it the largest international maritime exercise. The Navy says the purpose is to sustain cooperative relationships that keep sea lanes and oceans safe and secure. The exercises include amphibious operations, gunnery, missile, anti-submarine and air defense exercises, plus counter-piracy operations, mine clearance operations, explosive ordnance disposal, and diving and salvage operations. Five countries bordering the South China Sea are involved. Three of them have competing claims with Beijing over ownership of sea territory. The Chinese regime has steadily built up its forces in the sea and has militarized islands there. Still to come, Novak Djokovic wins at Wimbledon again. It's his fourth consecutive Wimbledon title and his seventh overall. It brings him one major win away from Rafael Nadal. Find out more right here on NTD News. Novak Djokovic won his seventh Wimbledon title on Sunday, beating unseeded Australian Nick Kyrgios. His fourth title in a row at the All England Club brings the Serbian tennis star's overall Grand Slam tally to 21. Novak Djokovic notched his fourth consecutive Wimbledon title and seventh overall, throwing his arms in the air and celebrating with his trademark move of eating a few blades of grass off of center court. His unseated opponent, Australian Nick Kyrgios, pushed Djokovic hard, serving 30 aces, but the Serbian star eventually seized control of the game in front of the All-England Club crowd. The win brings Djokovic's Grand Slam title count to 21, one shy of Rafael Nadal's 22. And the victory comes during a season that hasn't always gone as planned. Djokovic was deported from Melbourne ahead of the Australian Open and lost to Nadal at the French Open quarterfinals. As for Wimbledon, the two finalists who used to have a frosty relationship now say their bromance is strong, with Djokovic promising to make good on a deal to buy Kyrgios dinner. Djokovic called Kyrgios a phenomenal player, while Kyrgios described Djokovic as, quote, a bit of a god. In Europe, Spaniards have been hit with this year's second heat wave. Temperatures soared to 110 degrees. People are trying to stay cool amid the battling heat. Spaniards stayed in the shade in parks, headed for the beach, or sipped iced drinks to tackle the stifling temperatures. Warm summer sunshine, combined with a hot air front from North Africa, has sent temperatures soaring. Madrid, the country's capital, registered a high of over 100 degrees in the shade. Outdoor thermometers hit by the sun registered even higher temperatures. 
The state meteorological agency said they expect it to become even hotter. Temperatures could exceed 110 degrees in southern Spain. The heat wave isn't over yet. It's expected to last another three days. Mexico is trying to protect the historical Templo Mayor complex. A roof there collapsed in a storm last April under the weight of hail and rain. Now a new one has to be built. A team of more than 80 engineers, surveyors, restorers, architects, and archaeologists have been working for over 14 months now to protect the site. They're designing a new roof over the site adjacent to the ruins of the Templo Mayor, the the Aztec's holiest shrine. It should be ready by mid-September, they say. For the past 14 months, the team couldn't work with more than 20 people present at one time. That was to comply with COVID-19 regulations. They constantly had to check and maintain the original structure below. For this, they built doors and windows in the wooden floor, giving them eyes on the more than 500-year-old site. SpaceX launched on Sunday a latest batch of Starlink satellites from the Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. Officials said the Falcon 9 rocket was set to launch 46 Starlink satellites into low-Earth orbit. As with other SpaceX rockets, the first-stage boosters supporting the mission detached from the rocket. It autonomously landed back on a drone ship named of course I still love you, stationed in the Pacific Ocean. The booster has been used in launching three other Starlink missions, and it's hoped it will be used for future launches too. Hundreds of couples whose weddings were derailed or scaled back due to the COVID-19 pandemic got a do-over thanks to a New York City landmark. The Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts hosted a Celebrate Love, a re-wedding event on Sunday evening in the pavilion outside the center. On its website, the Lincoln Center called it a special day for newlyweds, those whose weddings were canceled or diminished, and people who want to recommit their love to their partners and the city we love. The event featured a multicultural ceremony, music, and dancing. The website noted that the ceremony was not legally binding. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.